So here we are. The Light, the Book, and the Shepherd. This is a sermon for Hanukkah because Hanukkah begins tomorrow night. So, in today's dross, we will learn three lessons for living from the Maccabees, the families whose faithfulness is celebrated in the Festival of Lights, also called the Feast of Dedication, or more commonly, Hanukkah. This takes, takes us back to the period of time between the Older Testament and the Newer, a time known as the Intertestamental Period. In 165 BCE, the Syrian Emperor Antiochus Epiphanes IV waged a bloody war against the Jews. He and his armies invaded and desecrated the temple where he entered the Holy of Holies, offered pig's blood on the altar, and installed there a statue of Zeus bearing the face of Antiochus himself. He plundered the treasuries of the Holy Temple, and he slaughtered as many as a million people. Antiochus outlawed keeping Shabbat, Rosh Chodesh, the new moon, and therefore the keeping of Jewish festivals, and also circumcision. He was determined to wipe out the Jewish way of life and, and assimilate everyone into Hellenism. In the small village called Modi'in, just east of Jerusalem, Matityahu, the patriarch of the priestly Hasmonean clan, challenged Antiochus's troops and those who acquiesced to their demands. Leading with his five sons, he attacked the troops, slew the idolaters, and destroyed the idols. With the cry of, all ho with God, follow me, Matityahu and the others retreated to the hills where they gathered forces. Matityahu's army, now under the command of his son Yehuda Hamakabi, grew. With the biblical slogan, Who is like unto thee, O God, emblazoned on their shield, and only 6,000 strong, they defeated a heavily armed battalion of 47,000 Syrians and an even larger army sent later. The Maccabees fought their way to Jerusalem where they liberated the temple and reclaimed the temple. The story is told that upon rededicating the temple, they found only one small container of the holy oil for the menorah, which had to be lit to reconsecrate the temple. Normally, it would take eight days to create more of the sacred oil. Undaunted, 
they lit the menorah with this small amount of oil dedicating the temple anew. Miraculously, the flames of the menorah shone brightly for eight full days. The following year, the sages of Israel proclaimed the festival of Hanukkah as a celebration beginning on the 25th day of Kislev and lasting eight days in perpetual commemoration of this victory over physical and religious persecution. So, what lessons can we learn for our own lives? Good question. Look at this extraordinary photograph. If you will look, you will see over here a Nazi flag. And here is a menorah. This extraordinary picture is of a menorah in the apartment in an apartment window overlooking Nazi party headquarters bedecked with its Nazi flag in 1931 in Kiel, Germany, in the house of Rabbi Akiva and Rachel Posner on Hanukkah of 1931. On the back of the photograph, Rachel wrote this, their flag seeks the death of Judah, but Judah will survive and its light will overcome their flag. End quote. What do you say? The Mishnah and Jewish tradition require that we place our menorahs in places that are clearly visible to the outside world, usually in a window. Just as in temple times and even now, Jewish people are to let their menorahs be seen during the festival of lights. We must always be shining in the world, clearly portraying the values and faith we claim to be ours. As Messianic believers, this reminds us how the Messiah commands us to let our lights shine. This means more than being nice people. It means always living in such a manner as to point others the way out of darkness. It means being beacons of light in a dark world, just as Rabbi and Rebetzin Posner were beacons of light in 1931 in Kiel, Germany, for which they no doubt paid with their lives. It means reflecting our faith wherever we go and in whatever we do. The story of Hanukkah and of the Maccabees is not in Jewish and Protestant Bibles, although Roman Catholics and some others, the Eastern Orthodox, do include it in theirs. The story of Matajahu and his sons and their brave and principled resistance to evil and their loyalty to Hashem reads like a Bible story, mirroring the faithfulness and character of Bible characters. In the book of Maccabees, we read that Matajahu, while on his deathbed, urged his sons to mirror the highest biblical and Jewish values in their own lives. In his exhortation, he named 
11 figures from Bible history whose faithfulness he saw as a model for his sons to imitate. Here's the account of that exhortation from the third chapter of the first book of Maccabees. It will remind you of the 11th chapter of the address to the Hebrews. It says this. Now the days drew near for Mattathias to die. And he said to his sons, arrogance and scorn have now become strong. It is a time of ruin and furious anger. Now, my children, show zeal for the Torah and give your lives for the covenant of our ancestors. Remember the deeds of the ancestors, which they did in their generations, and you will receive great honor and an everlasting name. Was not Abraham found faithful when tested, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness? Joseph, in the time of his distress, kept the commandment and became the Lord of Egypt. Pinchas, our ancestor, because he was deeply zealous, received the covenant of everlasting priesthood. Joshua became, uh, because he fulfilled the, uh, the command, became a judge in Israel. Caleb, because he testified to the assembly, received an inheritance in the land. David, because he was merciful, inherited the throne of the kingdom forever. Eliyahu, because of great zeal for the Torah, was taken up into heaven. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael believed and they were saved from the flame. Daniel, because of his innocence, was delivered from the mouth of the lions. And so, observe, from generation to generation, that none of those who put their trust in him will lack strength. Do not fear the words of sinners, for their splendor will turn into dung and worms. Today they will be exalted, but tomorrow they will not be found, because they will have returned to the dust and their plans will have perished. My children, be courageous. Yes, be courageous and grow strong in the Torah, for by it you will gain honor. Here is your brother Shimon, who I know is wise in counsel. Always listen to him. He shall be your father. Yehuda HaMakabi has been a mighty warrior from his youth. He shall command the army for you and fight the battle against the peoples. He shall rally you and all who observe the law and avenge the wrong done to your people. Pay back the pagans in full and obey the commands of the Torah. Then he blessed them and was gathered to his ancestors. He died in the 146th year and was buried in the tomb of his ancestors in Modi'in and all Israel mourned for him with great lamentation. Reading about his life and death and his values sounds like the Bible, even though it isn't. This also reminds us of J.R.R. Tolkien's masterful book, The Two Towers. There is a conversation there between two hobbits, Frodo and Sam, 
life has handed Frodo a great responsibility. He's become a custodian of the Ring of Power, which once belonged to his uncle Bilbo Baggins. This was a supernatural ring which gave absolute and dark power to anyone who wore it. In our story, Frodo, under the occasional guidance of the good wizard Gandalf, is making his way to the very throne of evil, Mount Mordor, where he is to destroy the ring and the fires there where the ring was first forged. For unless someone destroys the ring in this manner, evil will eventually triumph. And all of Middle-earth, including the Shire, will cease to be. Sam, also a hobbit, is Frodo's loyal and good companion and was formerly his gardener in the Shire. After blood-curdling and exhausting battles and adventures, including being kidnapped by vicious and unspeakable evil creatures, the orcs, Sam and Frodo have a retrospective conversation. They reflect on the wonder of stories and they wonder what might be, might be the possible significance of their own adventures and their role in them. They have much to teach us about the relationship and our relationship to the book of books, that is to scripture. So let's listen. I've asked Naomi to read this passage. So hold on a moment while I get it for her. And she will read this passage from the two towers. It's a conversation between Frodo and Sam. Thank you, Naomi. I don't like anything here at all, said Frodo. Step or stone, breath or bone, earth, air and water seem all accursed, but so our path is laid. <clears throat> yes, that so, said Sam, and we shouldn't be here at all. If we'd known more about it before we started. But I suppose it's often that way. The brave things in the old tales and songs, Mr. Frodo. Adventures, as I used to call them. I used to think they were the things the wonderful folk of stories went out and looked for because they wanted them, because they were exciting and life was a bit dull, a kind of sport, you might say. But that's not the way of it, with the tales that really mattered are the ones that stay in their mind. Folk seem to have just landed in them usually. Their paths were led that way, as you put it. But I expect they had lots of chances, like us, of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on and not off to a good end, mind you. At least not to what folk inside a story and not outside it call a good end. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder said Frodo, but I don't know. And that's the way of a real tale. Take one that you're fond of. You may know or guess what kind of tale it is, happy ending or sad ending, but the people in it don't know and you don't want them to. No, they never end as tales, said Frodo, but the people in them come and go when their parts ended. Our part will end later, we'll see. And then we can have some rest and some sleep. 
resting. And I mean just that, Mr. Frodo. I mean plain ordinary rest and sleep and waking up to a morning's work in the garden. I'm afraid that's all I'm hoping for all the time. All the big important plans are not for my sake. Still, I wonder if we shall ever be put into songs or tales, you know, told by the fireside or read out of a great big book with red and black letters years and years afterwards. And people will say, let's hear about Frodo in the ring. And they'll say, yes, that's one of my favorite stories. Frodo was very brave, wasn't he, Dad? Yes, my boy, the famousest of the hobbits. And that's saying a lot. It's saying a lot too much, said Frodo, and he laughed, a long, clear laugh from his heart. Such a sound had not been heard in such places since Garin came to Middle-earth. To Sam, it seemed as if all the stones were listening and the tall rocks leaning over them. But Frodo did not heed them, he laughed again. Why, Sam, he said, to hear you somehow makes me as merry as if its story was already written. But you've left out one of the chief characters, Samwise, Samwise the stout-hearted. I want to hear more about Sam, Dad. Why didn't they put in more of his talk? Dad, that's what I like. It makes me laugh. And Frodo wouldn't have got far without Sam, would he, Dad? Now, Mr. Frodo, said Sam, you shouldn't make fun. I was serious. So was I, said Sam, and so am I. We're going on a bit too fast. You and I, Sam, are still stuck in the worst places of the story. And it's all too likely that some will say at this point, shut the book now, Dad, we don't want to read anymore. Maybe, said Sam, but I wouldn't be one to say that. Great stuff. Sometime ask my wife, Naomi, how many times she's read that book. So, this reminds us that we do not generally get to choose the plot of our lives. We try to do so, but life throws us curves, doesn't it? What most distinguishes those people whose stories we celebrate, as we celebrate the Maccabees, is that they didn't give up. They may not have succeeded all the time. They may have had devastating disasters and failures. They may have even for a time gone for a dance with the dark side. They lost beloved companions sooner than they ever imagined, but they showed that they were heroes by simply keeping on. <clears throat> As Sam says, I expect they had lots of chances like us of turning back, only they didn't. And if they had, we shouldn't know because they'd have been forgotten. We hear about those as just went on and not all to a good end, mind you at least not to what folk inside a story and not outside a story call a good end. We have no way of knowing about the happy or sad turns in our own stories, whether as individuals, marriages, families, as a congregation, or as a nation. 
We have no way of knowing how the way we play our part will affect others and whether our story will be celebrated by someone somewhere sometime. But we can know this. As Sam says, one must resist the urge to close the book and not finish the story. We never know how things are going to turn out. We need to remember to see our lives in continuity with the stories of the Bible. Imagine that right now you are helping to write what will be written in the book of Melissa or the book of Beth or the book of JJ or the book of Sean or the book of Anne or the book of Michael or the book of Rusty. Imagine that a chapter or a scene is being added to that book even today. As Rabbi Yehuda the Prince said, as recorded in the Ethics of the Fathers, quote, reflect on three things and you will never come to sin. Know what is above you, a seeing eye, a hearing ear, and all your deeds recorded in a book, end quote. And we are all writing that book right now. How are we going to live today, tomorrow, and all the days that remain as we add chapters to the book of our lives to be read by God himself? John chapter 10 is the only place where we find Hanukkah mentioned in the Bible. There we read, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he isn't a shepherd and the sheep aren't his own, sees the wolf coming, abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf drags them off and scatters them. The hired worker behaves like this because that's all he is, a hired worker. And it doesn't matter to him what happens to the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life on behalf of the sheep. Also, I have other sheep which are not from this pen. I need to bring them, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. Then came Hanukkah in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Yeshua was walking around inside the temple area in Shlomo's colonnade. So the Judeans surrounded him and said to him, how much longer are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us publicly. Yeshua answered them, I've already told you and you don't trust me. The works I do in my father's name testify on my behalf. And the reason you don't trust is that you are not included among my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I recognize them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They will absolutely never be destroyed and no one will snatch them out of my father's hands. My father who gave them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them from the Father's hands. I 
and the Father are one. End quote. Some Bible commentators suggest that the reason Yeshua referred to himself as the Good Shepherd here is that in the first century, the Haftorah read at this season was from Yechezkel, from Ezekiel, speaking of Hashem as a shepherd gathering his sheep. We read here how Yeshua said that he is a good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. That reminds us of the Lamb's Book of Life. If we are among those who trust in the shepherd who loved us and gave himself for us, then we are in that book. But what of the other book? The one in which our deeds are recorded. How is it apparent that we are his sheep? In John 10, 27, we find the answer that we must follow the Messiah. My sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here are the three lessons I promised you when we began. Lessons of the light, the book, and the good shepherd. Like Matityahu HaMakabi, and like his sons, and like the Posners, Hashem wants us to lead dedicated lives, to do what we must be. Uh, to do that, we must be lights in the world. We must live our lives as if they were being added to the Bible and evaluated by the standards that we find there. Just as Matityahu reminded his sons to follow the example of the great heroes of the faith and the teachings of the Torah. And we must follow the example of the good shepherd who loved us and gave himself for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Let us rededicate our lives at this Hanukkah season to being followers of Hashem, followers of the Maccabees, followers of Yeshua, being lights during this and every season. Henceforth, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts, and the works of our hands be acceptable in his sight who is our rock and our redeemer. Shabbat Shalom.